0: Attention stations, the promo for tomorrow will air at 5 after the hour.
1: Tuesday on Adams on Agriculture. I'll be broadcasting from the National Biodiesel Conference in Tampa. We'll get an update on the biodiesel industry and look at the impact of getting the the biodiesel tax credit back. Be sure to join us Tuesday on Adams on Agriculture. Do we have Sarah? Yep. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
2: Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's
1: your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day as we kick off a new week on this Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. I hope you had a good weekend. I was busy in Springfield, Illinois over the weekend. Had the uh, pleasure once again this year of being the MC for the Illinois County Fair Queen Pageant, 73 contestants from around the state. So it was a busy, busy weekend. That was a part of the Illinois Association of Agricultural Fairs Convention. Saw a lot of folks from around the state of Illinois. Had a good time, and... um appreciate uh, the opportunity to be part of their meeting again this year. Well, as we kick off a new week, lots going on, So a lot of reaction to the events of last week with the uh, trade deal signings. We've also got things to look forward to as far as waters of the U.S., all kinds of things happening. Our guests today include Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and we'll talk markets with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. So a lot's going on in Texas, deep in the heart of Texas. Let's go to Austin, where the American Farm Bureau Federation annual meeting is underway. And wow, has it been a busy weekend. Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications, is there. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Of course, highlighted uh, at the convention by the appearance and the and the speech again this year of President Trump. And he had a lot to talk about, didn't he, and was well received.
3: Yes, Mike, good morning, it was a very exciting day yesterday, long and coming for many of us who had to go through all the security and wait mm-hmm. uh, almost five hours before we could uh, hear the speech. But it was a stem-winder. Uh, the president was uh, very, very engaged and enthused, uh, coming off the heels of the phase one trade agreement signing with China, and uh, talked, of course, about uh, his plans to sign USMCA later this week and so he he really had a lot of uh, positive comments to share with the crowd and and they gave him a lot of love back uh, several standing ovations and uh, a lot of cheers and chants USA USA and so it was uh it was a speech very much filled with red meat for his farmer and rancher base
1: he probably would have been well received at that convention anyway but especially this year, the timing with the the China agreement and as you said signing of USMCA coming up and also some uh, movement on waters of the U.S.
3: Yes, we really anticipate uh, knowing a lot more about that, but as you may have heard, EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler was scheduled to appear today and we thought to announce all that, but uh, the President said the change is coming and so as we've been reporting, uh, we, we will have full details as soon as they're available, but apparently there are a few things that Mr. Wheeler had to either dot some more I's and cross some T's or do some additional work on, and so he's not here. Uh, Secretary Sonny Perdue is here. He uh, introduced President Trump yesterday, and will be back on the main stage today uh, a little after 11.
1: So I would uh, assume that the mood there at the convention is upbeat with the these trade signings and the, some of the events going on right now.
3: I describe it as some very cautious optimism. I mean, the farmers we talked to after the speech were very positive and shared with us that, you know, he, he made a lot of promises and he has appeared to... Be delivering on a lot of those regulatory relief. Uh, talked about the repeal of the estate tax or the death tax at lower levels. Uh, one thing that Mike he didn't really get into, and I think is still a point of a little bit of contention with people, is what's going to happen with ethanol because of these small refiner exemptions. But um, other than that, I think people were pretty pretty upbeat. Uh, but they just they want to see delivery. From China, and I think that's something that even President Trump can't control because the Chinese economy has been contracting, and with African swine fever, it's really difficult to talk about how they're going to buy a lot more soybeans to feed their swine herd that has been cut by you know and by some reports half or at least a third.
1: Yeah, now we, we need to see the action to back up the words of the trade deal. You mentioned the small refinery exemptions. That's a huge issue, not only for the ethanol industry, but for the biodiesel industry. Now, I'm headed today to Tampa, Florida. I'll be there the next couple of days for the National Biodiesel Conference. And they're concerned, as I said, about the, the exemptions, but they're uh, also, they're going to be in a better mood because they did get the uh, biodiesel tax credit reinstated in the tax extenders package. So that was a boost for their industry.
3: Oh, absolutely. And, you know, there's one thing that really is still very much unknown in the Chinese uh, Phase One deal, and that is, will they be importing more of our renewable fuels? And there was an expectation of that, but, of course, the deal has no specific line items that says, you know, there'll be so much imports of X, Y, or Z commodity. And so we're, we're very much in a wait-and-see mode. But um, I think you'll find some similar optimism at that, and uh, our Ben Nully will be there as well to see you.
1: And, you know, as good as things are looking and appearing uh, with China, there's still the tariff question, right? I mean, there's still tariffs in place that must be uh, – that issue still has to be resolved.
3: Well, they are keeping the tariffs in place as part of their overall enforcement plan. But as you may have seen when we – Uh, interviewed Ambassador Greg Dowd again last week and I'd have to say the interview we did with him at the end of the year where he kind of laid out what all the different things that can happen under phase one is still probably the most comprehensive look at that. But when we talked to him uh, last week, he also uh, was visiting with the Wheat Growers Association and uh, he's adamant that the China, uh, that the Chinese could still be buying wheat, corn and rice. Uh, as a result of these, and that the tariffs aren't going to matter. Um, he's, he's saying that the, it's still game on. So, again, it's a, it's a lot of folks that are looking at these things and saying, we want to trust, we want it to work, but we would like to see the real deal. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, it's it's putting that uh, uh, substance behind the arguments that are being made.
1: Yeah, I had Ambassador Out on last week as well, and, yeah, same thing. I mean, he laid out... Uh, how hard they worked at uh, enforce, you know, getting enforcement measures in place, and he thinks it'll be even with those tariffs. You said he thinks they're going to be buying. So time will tell, and we'll see how how that plays out. Of course, uh, right now in Washington, it's going to be impeachment now again dominating the news.
3: Yes, and certainly that's going to impair our ability to talk to some of the senators. But uh, Senator Pat Roberts, the chairman of the Senate Ag Committee, is here, and we sat down with him for quite a bit of time yesterday just talking about the, the um, things that are going on not only in his committee, but what he's hearing from Kansas farmers. And I think people like that will continue to, to uh, share some of their messages. But there's going to be a lot of lockdown on uh, the senators in terms of time. And uh, so just stay tuned and we'll see how long this plays out uh, as we go through the rest of January.
1: All right, Sarah. Thank you, Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications in Austin, Texas, for the American Farm Bureau Federation Convention. We'll be uh, watching for your uh, uh, in-depth coverage at AgriPulse Communications. And uh, thanks a lot, Sarah. Enjoy Texas.
3: Thank you, Mike. Have a good day. All
1: right. All right. Sarah Wyatt in uh, Austin, Texas. Again, I'll be in Tampa, Florida tomorrow and Wednesday broadcasting for the National Biodiesel Conference More reaction from the U.S.-China trade deal signing. We're going to talk with the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
4: Whether you're on the road or in the field, you need more than typical number two diesel. You need a heavy-duty diesel like Cenex Premium Diesel. It comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. It's the diesel that keeps your equipment out of the shop and restores power by as much as 4.5% and fuel economy by up to 5%. So ask yourself, if you could be any diesel, which diesel would you be? Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
5: If your soil could talk, what would it say? If it's healthy, it may already be saying some good things about your future. Because farmers who use soil health building systems that include no-till, cover crops, and diverse species and rotations report greater productivity, profitability, and resiliency to weather extremes. Learn more about what your soil is saying about its health and your future. Contact your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today. This message brought to you by USDA
1: at this radio station recently on atoms on agriculture so each month here on aoa we take a look at the uh, purdue cme group ag economy barometer numbers and we take a look at the ag equipment sales numbers and with those numbers from december we're joined now by kurt blade senior vice president of ag services for the association of equipment manufacturers we now have the final numbers for 2019 how do they turn out
5: well mike we made it this uh, this year of 2019 is, uh, is finally in the books, and boy, what a crazy one it was. We ended the year of tractor and combine sales just a little bit above where we were last year, but uh, as you look at the journey all the way through, it was a roller coaster. We started off incredibly strong, you know, sort of out of the gate, a little hot, and then things softened pretty sharply about halfway through to basically take us to where we, uh, where we ended up ended up the year just a little bit, little bit
1: above last year. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture.
6: and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit.
1: You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
2: information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams.
1: We continue to get reaction to the signing last week of the phase one U.S.-China trade deal. Joining us now is the CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council, Jim Sutter. Jim, thanks for joining us.
5: Good morning, Mike. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Good to talk to you. Well,
1: so much focus on that trade deal. What did you see in it that you like?
5: Well, I, as I've told people, I think we're certainly much better off having a positive trading relationship, having an open trading relationship with uh, a country like China, especially when I think about when I have my soybean hat on, 60% of the soybeans that leave one country in the world and go to one another. So in other words, 60% of international trade in soybeans ends up in China. So for the U.S. that has historically been the largest producer of soy in the world, for us to not have access to that market is really a bad thing. So very glad that the deal is uh, behind us and uh, now looking forward to seeing how it gets implemented.
1: Yeah, let's talk about that because there are some questions. Uh, one, of course, uh, right now is typically when they buy soybeans from South America. Uh, mm-hmm. We also know the, the, the situation with African swine fever, so it's expected demand uh, would be less uh, for soybeans, soy meal. Uh, how do you see this playing out as far as what levels you might we might see as far as soybean sales to China this year?
5: Well, that is uh, that's, that's obviously a really good question, and the timing, as you pointed out, is uh, kind of unfortunate that this is, the deal's kicking off right now. But uh, I, you know, I think we just have to give this a little time to play out. Uh, it is you know it was just signed last week uh... in china right now it's a key holiday period they're just getting ready to start their celebration of the chinese new year and that'll keep them you know sort of like the combination of our thanksgiving and christmas holidays so they're all in a holiday mood rather than a soybean purchasing mood so i don't really anticipate much uh... in the near term but i do believe that they will uh... you know i think china's very committed to living up to their end of the bargain uh... i i was just in china recently uh... since the deal has been done I actually just got home over the weekend and i can tell you that people there are that the trade there is very pleased that this is is done i think just the average people are also pleased they weren't happy to have this sort of a trade uh... friction trade war going on with the u s so i think it, i think they will be committed to it i would guess that we would see a chunk of the purchases happen you know later in the year i think that uh, they've already got a pretty good book on right now and i think as you said this is the south american season so, we'll see them uh, step up their purchases um, much, you know, in several months' time, would be my guess. With regard to the ASF and the demand loss there, uh, clearly that's been a huge factor. Um, and I tell you, there's lots of different opinions on how quickly they're going to get that behind them. I think there's an awful lot of work going on, the government is very committed to getting that situation resolved it's hard it's a a difficult situation but we understand the people we spoke with when we were there there's there's a lot of investment going on into new large state-of-the-art facilities where they'll be able to have much better control much better uh, you know the whole biosafety issues will be much better for them to manage uh... but you know take some time to get that investment going but when china puts their mind to something they usually get it done so so we're we're cautiously optimistic uh... i think it'll be a good thing you know we've been working a lot on trying to make sure though that we're not we you know china's an important market obviously but it's not the only market for soybeans and we want to make sure that you know all these markets that we've been working in the last couple of years and for many years that we continue to focus on those and don't become uh, overly dependent on china we are very happy to have them back as a market, but we're also very happy to have the markets that we've been working on in the last few years and the new emerging markets around the world that we continue to work on.
1: We're talking with Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Along those lines, Jim, uh, Ambassador Greg Dowd, our chief ag negotiator, told me last week that uh, they're going to really start working, uh, focusing on, on India. How What's the potential there for soybeans?
5: Well, i tell you, that's a market where... Uh, representatives of our organization have been working there for 22 years, uh, so we obviously, the people who were making decisions 22 years ago, thought that that market had a lot of potential, and we think it probably has more today. We've been very happy to see you know, that, they're, they're, I think they're the fifth largest producer of soybeans in the world, uh, and, and they're now to the point that they're consuming all of the soy that they produce. So over recent years, they've been a, a, you know, a, de- a decreasing in size exporter of soybean meal to other countries because they previously didn't use all the meal that they produced. They used all the oil. They were an importer of oil. So we're very happy to see them not exporting meal anymore. And we think that that market in a few years' time has great potential. Uh, you know, you just look at a country with 1.3 billion people, Um, a lot of uh, potential for growing protein demand. Their protein consumption is extremely low today, and it's actually quite worryingly low. There's a lot of people with protein deficiencies there, and and we hope that that will be changing. And as it does, I think it'll spur demand for soy to be fed both as a human, direct human consumption, because they consume quite a bit of soy that way, and they also have a very rapidly growing from a small level, but a very rapidly growing poultry industry and aquaculture industry. So we think one of these days, (coughs) India will be a big uh, potential market for soy, and we continue to work on it so we're ready when the doors get opened up.
1: Are there some other markets that we could uh, see some real movement here in 2020 as far as opening up to us?
5: Well, there's a couple that we expect to continue to grow rapidly, and they're both, uh, you mentioned India, and they're sort of in that part of the world. One is Pakistan, and that's a market that used to import some soybean meal from India. Now it doesn't because India doesn't have meal to export, and there's some political tensions. Uh, But also, Pakistan's demand has grown rapidly, and they are now um, on our top ten list of U.S. soybean importers. Uh, I think they will continue to grow rapidly. They'll be a million-and-a-half-ton market this year. And Egypt is another market that over the last five years has grown from being almost uh, almost nothing in terms of imports. They imported some meal from other countries, a tiny bit from the U.S. Uh, this year I anticipate that there'll be a three-million-ton U.S. soybean market. And that's really that's demand growth in the country for poultry and aquaculture. And a little bit of meal that they export, but primarily used in Egypt. So those are two great examples of when you see a a place where consumption is low, once their economy starts doing a little better and people start to get the opportunity to consume more protein, uh, it can grow quickly. And, And like I said, those are both really good examples of that.
1: What about Vietnam?
5: Vietnam's a good market. Uh, that's been a really exciting growth market over the last 20 years. Uh, expect them to continue to grow. Uh, have had some problems from a U.S. perspective getting into Vietnam over the last year. Uh, because of all things, uh, concern over weed seed in our U.S. soybeans going into the country. I think uh, USTR and, uh, and all of our U.S. Uh, Foreign Agricultural Service representatives have worked hard to kind, kind of get an agreement in place where we can get that weed seed issue behind us. I think we're there now, so I think we should have a better, con- better opportunity to continue going to that market. But Vietnam is has uh, you know, uh, been a strong market for us, particularly for soybean meal, but they also have a crushing industry where they import some soybeans. So I think that'll be a... You know, that whole Southeast a- Asia, uh, Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia, uh, all of those markets, I think, will continue to see good growth, and generally the U.S. is in a good position to service those markets.
1: And because you have been in those areas and those markets for some time, uh, market development takes quite a while. You have to be on the ground and and establish relationships.
5: That is for darn sure. I, was, I mentioned I was in China recently. Just before I was in China, I was in Myanmar, uh, which is a country which is just starting to develop. Um, uh, but like the rest of those Southeast Asian markets, we expect it to, to uh, grow rapidly. It's starting at a much lower level today. But I think it'll be a lot like Vietnam has been over the last uh, 15 years. We're probably just 10 or 12 years behind it. Um, not quite such a large population, but it'll be a, I think it'll be a really good growth market for us in the future and exciting to see the rapid changes that are taking place there. So, you're, But you're right, Mike, it takes a long time to do this. But fortunately, um, U.S. soybean farmers through the checkoff and in cooperation with the Foreign Agricultural Service have been doing this for a while, and continue to have uh, the support of those organizations to keep doing it. So I think we're in great shape from that perspective.
1: Well, time will tell, but 2020 seems to be starting off on a very positive note for trade, and we hope it'll be a very, very good year ahead. Jim, always good to talk with you. Thank you for the update.
5: Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the opportunity.
1: All right, take care. Jim Sutter, CEO of the U.S. Soybean Export Council. Next, we'll shift to beef and what does the signing of the U.S. China trade deal mean for U.S. beef producers? And of course, the uh, signing coming soon for U.S. MCA. That's another big win as well. We'll talk with Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, as we look ahead to what we hope will be a very good trade year for the beef industry and agriculture in general here in 2020. A lot of signs pointing to that. We'll get Kent's thoughts on what it could mean for the beef industry in particular. That's next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
2: With the start of every new year, you always have new possibilities. The new year is upon us, and Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network, has plenty of news to be excited about. Your host, Mike Adams of Adams on Agriculture, has expanded the daily conversation into new geographies around the country. Mike has new online content, too. Navigate on your computer, smartphone, or tablet to AmericanAgNetwork.com. Under the Adams on Agriculture tab, you can listen to Mike's latest shows and also catch up on Mike's new weekly commentary. Adams on Agriculture is also available as an Alexa skill on your Amazon device. Adams on Agriculture with Mike Adams, presented by the American Ag Network. We're looking forward to new conversations with you throughout the year with information farmers and ranchers need to know. Check it out. Adams on Agriculture, presented by the American Ag Network.
7: Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. An hour into the trading day on Friday, and corn futures recovering some of yesterday's losses. The grains bounced overnight with corn in particular, making up ground after posting a 3.1% loss on Thursday. After a wave of pessimism on the markets following the signing of the U.S.-China trade deal, with some traders unhappy with China's perceived Wiggle room around making large agricultural purchases. Some traders say the downward movement may have been a little bit overdone. Both the momentum and trend indicators turned lower after yesterday's sharp price break. It could seem to indicate that rallies need to be sold, backed up by the weak fundamentals in the corn market. March corn up five and three quarters an hour into the day at 381 and a quarter. May up five and a half at 388. Soybeans March contract down a quarter of a cent, nine twenty-three and three quarters. May down a half at nine thirty-seven. In the wheats, Minneapolis March up four and three quarters at five fifty-five. Chicago wheat March up two and three quarters, five sixty-eight. Kansas City wheat March up a penny and a half at four eighty-six and a quarter. For livestock futures at the Merck, cattle futures continue to trend lower, while lean hog futures are a dime to sixty cents higher. February hogs up 60 at 67.47. April up 40 at 74.17. Live cattle, February down 57 at 125.55. We saw cash cattle sales in the south yesterday on a live basis, mostly 124, fully steady with last week's weighted average. Feeder cattle, March contract down 85 at 143.97. On Wall Street, the Dow is up 52 points. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network.
1: And joining us now is Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for being with us now. In the past, you have cautioned us when, when we're talking trade, uh, don't get to, too quick to pop the corks on champagne bottles. But what about uh, now with uh, China and USMCA deals? Are you popping any of those corks yet?
9: <laughs> well, I think we are definitely, uh, I, th- I think the champ- the champagne's definitely on ice. Uh, keep in mind when it comes to USMCA, that the, the Canadians still have to go through the process of of ratifying it, and we expect that'll be pretty soon. And on China, it's all about implementation. So, yeah, I think we can. Uh, yeah, I think we are. We're definitely at that stage now where we're going to start celebrating soon. But before we do, we're going to make sure that uh, that all of our ducks are in a row.
1: Well, let's talk about the china deal because we don't know it looks good it sounds good but until it happens uh... It, you know it's uh... just words right so what's the potential here for the us beef producers
9: well i think it's a little bit more than words now it's it's a signed agreement we got to think of it as a contract that's gonna enter into force here pretty soon for the us beef industry it's huge uh... this deal with china delivers on three uh... three primary uh... goals that that, quite frankly, are going to uh, really open that market for us. So the first one is removing that BSE restriction, that aged based restriction, that 30-month cap that we've had uh, in China uh, you know, for the last few years. This really goes back to the cow that stole Christmas in 2003, and China has used that as leverage against us for, uh, for well over a decade. So we're able to, to see that restriction lifted, which means they're going to be commensurate with the uh, the OIE guidelines of the World Organization for Animal Health. And that just shows that the U.S. has a, a very safe system in place. Uh, China is also recognizing the U.S. traceability system. That's a nice way of saying that we no longer have the requirement of bookend traceability. So we don't have to uh, trace them at the point of birth and then uh, at the point of slaughter, China is only going to trace back to the, the packing facility. That is a further justification of our safety systems that are in place and the fact that we do it right. And probably the third and one of the most significant uh, developments is the fact that, that China is going to establish uh, maximum residue levels for uh, three uh, commonly used veterinary compounds, xeranol, trimolone, and meligestral acetate. Uh, those are hormones, and that is a huge, huge win for us. Uh, so this will this will allow us to send more of our cattle into production for the Chinese market. Our inability to use uh, hormones uh, for the Chinese market is, has greatly limited our ability to capitalize on that demand, and this is a major step in the right direction. And it's also, uh, it sends a pretty strong message to the rest of the world, that these non-tariff trade barriers are unjustified and they need to be removed. So when you look at it uh, for the producer, for our producers themselves, those are three really big developments. But there's so much more to unpack there. China's, uh, you know, also expanding the product scope, uh, which means we can send more products, more beef products. Uh, China is going to uh, use the U.S. registry system. There's a whole lot of bureaucratic messes that will be resolved with this agreement, which means that uh, it's not going to be cost prohibitive to send to the Chinese market, but this is finally going to be an opportunity where we can really capitalize on growing protein demand, especially beef demand, in China. So this is a great deal for us.
1: You know, early on there was so much focus on soybeans and then pork with African swine fever over there, uh, and we didn't early on think so much about what this could mean for beef going into China, but as you've just pointed out, this is significant. Now, as you said, it's a contract, but historically, uh, China's not always honored these contracts, so that's why implementation and enforcement will be key.
9: That's exactly right. And, you know, that I think as we start to unpack, you know, this, this deal, and that's one of the big things that I've been spending most of my time is actually reading through the enforcement provisions in the text itself. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of teeth. In this agreement, this is not just uh, a paper uh, agreement and a handshake with the Chinese. You need enforcement. You need, uh, you know, you need incentives not to uh, to jeopardize this deal or to push it in a direction that is going to become protectionist. And so, China, uh, you know, once this uh, once this agreement is, is fully up and running, it's going to be hard for China to to hide behind that bureaucratic wall that they have, they've always tried to to hide behind. They have to be very clear in uh, their regulatory mechanisms. And there's, there's also continued engagement by the U.S. government uh, to make sure that this agreement is implemented fairly. Uh, So I think this is, I think there's a lot of teeth, a lot of enforcement built into this agreement. That's something that, uh, you know, we're, we're still trying to unpack and get a, a better understanding of because we really haven't seen an agreement like this before. One that uh means that the governments are gonna work directly together and uh will actually have uh some ability to troubleshoot problems as they arise. So we see this as a great uh as a great blueprint. Hopefully we will hopefully we'll be able to build on this uh, and hopefully we'll be able to, to resolve any other issues that pop up as this is implemented. Because keep in mind we're gonna be rolling back a lot of red tape. There's going to be uh, a new way of doing business with the chinese and quite frankly there's always headaches there's always hiccups that happen along the way but uh, we have we have you know different avenues to resolve this and i think that really is uh, a testament to our negotiators being able to see that and knowing the frustrations we've all had with china for many years they've been able to to, to draft this contract in a way that we'll be able to solve any differences that will arise so I think this is this is a great opportunity for us.
1: Yeah, Ambassador Greg Dowd telling us about that last week, uh, how hard they worked on getting those provisions in there when it comes to enforcement and implementation. We're talking with Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, let's talk about uh, what uh, we now wait for the formality of signing a USMCA uh, here, but it also does have to still be done in Canada. Do you expect any problems there? Are you hearing any uh, concerns?
9: No, I mean, for as far as what we have heard uh, about the Canadian Parliament, uh, it should pass uh, pretty quickly. Uh, we don't expect there to be you know, any issues. Now they have their own, uh, they have their own, you know, steps that they have to go through to make sure that, that that can happen. But as far as the politics of it, I think everybody wants to to get this wrapped up and, and move forward, uh, and so we would expect that that would move fairly quickly. You know, for us, USMCA is a great deal and this is it just reinforces our unrestricted duty-free access to canada and mexico it brings a very strong sanitary and phytosanitary standard into effect and it brings the rest of nafta into the 21st century so this is a big victory for all of u.s agriculture and for the us beef industry it means we'll continue to be the dominant source in north america so this is a win for the us beef industry
1: so as far as along with monitoring and uh, w- uh, working on implementation of these deals. Uh, but let's say we have those done now. Moving on in 2020, what becomes your trade focus uh, beyond those two?
9: Well, I think you hit the big one there. That's implementation, making sure we, we get these up and running. But we also have our sites on a potential deal with the United Kingdom. Uh, Great Britain offers uh, a tremendous opportunity for us. Uh, in the U.S. beef industry, but, you know, we also have some significant hurdles to overcome. Uh, You know, the British have lived under that European mindset for quite some time, where they disregard science when it comes to uh, food and agriculture. And so we're going to have to have that direct conversation with their consumers, and they need to realize that, you know, doing business with the United States is a good thing, especially in the agricultural sphere. Uh, and that when they consume beef and chicken from the united states that it's not going to to damage them uh... that it's actually very high quality and very safe product and you know that's just a that's that's going to be a a tough uh, negotiation uh... the british are going to be in a position after brexit where they're going to need access to markets like the united states So this creates an opportunity for us to have that dialogue uh... so i think people need to read beyond the headlines They need to be patient, but we also have to do a good job of telling our story because we do have a great product here, and this is a product that we will always stand behind uh, because it's safe and it's high quality and it's something that that global consumers want. So we see an opportunity in in Great Britain and other countries as well.
1: So after a challenging 2019, it feels like some momentum here to start 2020.
9: Uh, I think that's uh, the best way to look at it is, you know, we – We've we had a uh, kind of a rough year overall for U.S. agriculture with 2019. Things are, are going to start turning around soon. And I think the fact that we'll have access uh, to more mo- uh, more consumers across the world means we're going to have more opportunities to sell our beef. We're going to be able to sell to the highest bidder without uh, any government uh, burdens in the way or any protectionist barriers. That We're going to be able to capitalize on that market demand. Uh, whether it's going to be in China, uh, Japan, which is a huge victory for us, uh, or, you know, just the continued profitability within USMCA, I think, uh, you know, we have some, some pretty good days ahead of us in the U.S. beef industry. And that's something that we will definitely continue to fight for in CBA.
1: All right, Kent, we'll talk about it some more in a couple of weeks at the uh, Beef Industry Convention in San Antonio. We'll see you there. Thank you. All right. Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. So um, what do the markets think of all this? So what's ahead? What's the outlook? We're going to talk with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. That's coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up.
10: My mom's a breast cancer survivor. The United Breast Cancer Foundation saved her life. Their free breast cancer exam caught the cancer early, and it saved her life. But now the foundation needs your help so they can continue offering free or low-cost breast screening exams, saving more women's lives. Help them by donating your car, whether it's running or not. They'll provide fast, free 24-hour pickup, and you receive a charitable tax deduction. Plus, the great feeling you'll get knowing your donated car is going to help save more lives. Just call 800-745-3327 to set the wheels in motion. They take cars, trucks, vans, and SUVs, running or not. Call 800-745-3327. The United Breast Cancer Foundation needs your help and your donation could literally save women's lives, helping them catch breast cancer early, like they did with my mom. Donate today, 800-745-3327. 800-745-3327. 180
3: over 111 and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk.
0: 180 over 110, and I
1: had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell. Everything's changed. I had to tell. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. Do
0: you like what you're hearing on Adams on Agriculture? Continue that conversation important to agriculture on Twitter. You can follow the talk show at AOA underscore talk show or follow Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. Here you will receive real-time highlights of the show and see what others are buzzing about in the industry. Adams on Agriculture hopes to meet you online.
4: Time is money, right? And money. Well, it's the whole reason we go to work every day. Senex Premium Diesel protects both. With a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, Senex Roadmaster XL helps your entire fuel system stay up and running, so you can count more profits and steer clear of losses. Now don't spend all that free time in one place, unless it's the highway. Senex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around.
1: Recently, on atoms on agriculture, some have made claims that we are now totally energy independent. We don't even need foreign oil. Is that the case? Let's talk about it with Scott Richmond, Chief Economist for the Renewable Fuels Association. Scott, thanks for joining us. Have we reached energy independence yet?
8: Thanks for having me this morning, Mike. Uh, unfortunately,
5: we've not reached energy independence yet. We have we are less dependent uh, than we were. 15 years ago on foreign sources of energy, but we are not yet independent. It's great that over the last 15 years, as a result of uh, both shale oil production uh, and a tremendous increase in biofuels production, ethanol is now 10% uh, of the gasoline blend, we are a lot less dependent than we were. But again, we're not not independent, we're not an island unto ourselves, and especially in petroleum, we're linked to international markets still.
1: For the information important to rural America join us on Adams on Agriculture You're listening to A O A Adams on Agriculture Hi this is Mike Adams you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world
2: Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know Adams
1: on Agriculture Now back to Mike Adams so there's optimism here at the start of 2020 with the U.S.-China deal and USMCA. How do the markets feel about all this? Let's talk with Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. I'm Matt. Uh, are the markets, are traders optimistic as we kick off 2020? What do you see coming up here this year?
11: Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. You know, I think at the outset of the year, I mean, there's no uh, question people were trying to figure out exactly what to make out of the U.S.-Chinese situation. First of all. Second of all, of course, there was a lot of uh, people looking towards that January report, wondering what's that going to come up with, and so the January report was kind of a ho hum deal. Uh, I happen to think there's uh, still a lot that needs to be addressed as we go down the road. Uh, but bottom line for me, whenever I, I look at these markets and I try to figure out where the optimism would lie, I think one of the main things, I guess, is you know maybe more so with old crop than new crop. You know, I think part of the reason that old crop isn't as excitable. Uh, On the futures is what we would expect is uh, you know whenever we look at the basis and so on you know it's because these huge acreage uh, estimates that people are coming out with so you know I've got to think that uh, moving forward uh, I'm a little more friendly old crop than I am new uh, but there's still a lot to be learned about this year Friday we went home everyone was really excited as you know. Thursday, we went home, and everybody felt like someone had come home and kicked their dog, you know? I mean, it's just, uh, you know, a lot of back and forth, and a lot of it has to do with what are the Chinese going to do, how much are they going to buy, how is this going to affect our carryouts on down the road?
1: Yeah, how much are they going to buy? When are they going to buy? Meanwhile, we're still trying to wrap up 2019. There's still harvesting to be done, and then we'll start getting into uh, looking at the acres for this year, bringing... Those uh, acres that did not get planted last year back into production, what's that corn, soybean, uh, you know, number going to be? So we're going to start getting uh, into those uh, questions, and they are still some pretty big questions, aren't they?
11: Oh, there's no question. Uh, There's a lot of questions to be answered yet. Uh, You know, whenever it boils right down to it, I guess from a producer's standpoint, though, yeah, you, know, you look at what have what's happened here, and I, I know your initial question was how excited we might be and whatnot. You know, we came into the end of the year, we had a pretty darn good rally for both corn and beans. I've tried to encourage people to take a look at that. Uh, you know, I feel like sometimes we're always expecting just a little bit more, kind of like my kids on Christmas morning. Sometimes <laughs> you know, instead of just looking at what exactly what you've gotten. Uh, you know, I think the rally that you saw on Friday is kind of a, uh, a really nice thing to see, getting back over $4 corn. I mean, you know, there's people Thursday night that were talking like, well, shoot, maybe we're not even going to see over $4 corn going into the crop insurance period. You know, and, and one day later, everything changes. So, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned yet. You know, uh, one thing is going to be feed usage and ethanol. uh uh, conversion factors with that really low test weight corn you've got to assume that those are going to rear their head on down the road but you're going to have to wait on quarterly stocks numbers to to really get a handle on that but i don't i don't think your carryout's going to be even close to 1.89 by the time it's all said and done
1: been interesting to watch uh the 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 basis uh, situation as uh you know Farmers have held on to grain, and those needing to buy have, you know, bid up to get it, to pry it out of farmers' hands. This has been an interesting back and forth through the winter.
11: Right, and so basis was pretty strong last summer as well, you know. And then you go into harvest time frame, and I think part of the reason it really got kicked off is that you got a late start, and so you know some of these processors were really bidding up, and then the grain didn't show up like they thought it would. Uh, you know in some areas and so basically you never were able to back off a whole lot you know we've got producers that are in the eastern part of the corn belt getting 60 and 80 over where they uh, typically uh, are hoping for option price or a little bit better You know, you go down in the Herford, Texas, and uh, they've been posting a dollar over at times. Uh, I mean, those are levels that are significantly better than what we're used to. You know, down in Herford, there's no question it's it's a lot better basis. But you know, 40 to 50 over, I think, is a little (laughs) more normal. So, you know, basis is going to continue to be something to keep a really close eye on especially as you get on further out into the marketing year I have to think that uh, you're going to that's going to be the main play I mean you may not get the futures uh, rally like you're hoping for so I know a lot of this grain is on basis contracts uh, already a producer is going to have to you know identify when they're going to need their money how patient they can be because I think next summer if the market really catches fire it's going to be more so to do with basis than with futures
1: and as we've talked uh, the MFP payments have allowed farmers to be patient on some of that marketing.
11: Right, and you know, the indications are that you're getting the final payment, uh, you know, which is going to give you a little more flexibility, maybe uh, a little more tight-fisted, of course. But at the same time, Mike, I think you know as well as I do, most of this grain, uh, especially as you move north and west, is not going to keep this year. And so at some point, that stuff's going to have to come to market. And I, I, do, I do think that uh, there's a lot of concerns for instance in the upper midwest, you know, is that even exportable quality corn and most of your originators up there will tell you it's not. And so where are you going to get all your exportable quality corn is probably going to be in our part of the world. And so, you know, the next thing of course uh, around, along the river uh, systems is you're going to have a shutdown, you know. So at some point, you know, you're going to have to be sourcing your corn from uh, south of that area if you're going to be shipping it on the river and as we know Uh, if you're doing it on trucks, it's going to make it a coversome process. So there's a lot that's going to happen this year, but I do think if I'm in an area that's, uh, you know, already got a really good basis, I'm probably going to at least hold some uh, gambling bushels, so to speak, over because I think that basis could really get interesting later.
1: And we know that some of those wet areas are still wet, and so we're going to be watching that closely this spring weather. I mean, we could, in some places, hopefully not, but could be a repeat performance of the problems of last spring.
11: Well, you. you I mean, the first thing you got to do is you got to get the corn harvested in the areas it's not. I mean, as of the report, they were talking eight percent as far as corns concerned. You know, a lot of those guys in the Dakotas are telling us they can't get done anytime soon. I mean, so it'll be very interesting to see. You got to get that out of the field before you can even think about this year. And then you're right. You know, it certainly was wet in a lot of areas. Now, right in my part of the world, we actually got most of our uh, field work done. Most of the anhydrous went on we feel a heck of a lot better going into the spring last year it was, a, it was very widespread that most of us didn't get any of that work done uh... this year it's not quite as widespread but there's no question that if you were super wet last fall it's going to make you think twice last thing is those guys in the Dakotas some of them have told me um, some and i will say not all said that they were kicking themselves for going ahead and planting uh... in some of those areas because it was such a frustrating year I think that uh, if you get super late again this year, unless you get a big rally in the corn market, they're probably going to look at it differently.
1: Thanks. Matt Bennett with AgMarket.net. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.
0: What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease.